Hey friends, this is Michael from Hannigan Media and I am in the courtroom of Henderson County Judge Wade McKinney. How are you doing today, Judge? Doing great. Good morning. You sound a lot better than me because my allergies, allergies. have got me to the point where even in my own ears, I'm like, who is that who's talking? It's that joyous time of year. It is that joyous <laughs> time of year. That's right. It's that good time when you wake up in the morning and you put the heat on in the morning and you put the air on in the evening. Yeah. And everybody is dripping. Nature says, good morning, everyone. Yeah, it's a great time to be alive. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, we have a couple of really cool things that we want to talk about or interesting things we want to talk about this week. Um, and the first one up, stay tuned. We have a COVID update after this. The first thing we want to talk about is this week is – Telecommunication, telecommunicators week. It's the 911 week. It's dispatchers. Right. Dispatchers, week. right. Um, and, uh, it's a, it's a week set aside to honor all of the, uh, folks who man the 911 lines when we call in. And boy, I can't even imagine what that job's like. Yeah. You know, the first thing that is often forgot about in emergency situations is communication and hats off these individuals that spend 12 hour shifts sitting in a dark room with headsets on the continual drumbeat of people needing assistance or people needing to yell at somebody because they answer more than just the radio calls. They answer phone calls. Um, the These individuals really need their day, and I'm happy that they're getting it when you, especially considering how much we depend on them uh, every day. Yeah, they're really sort of hidden heroes because mm-hmm. they're, you know, back out of the way. Like you said, they get their own little room somewhere. Wearing headsets and lots of computers and lots of bells and whistles yeah. going off. And, and even as time as commissioner, when the storms would roll through or something would happen, they are the ones tasked with making that 2, 2 a.m., 3 a.m. phone call saying, uh, commissioner, uh, we've got a problem. So <laughs> I told, I told, uh, Sheriff Hillhouse, I have been blessed enough to never have to call 911 in an emergency situation. Yes. But I can imagine that if you did have to do that, the voice on the other end of the line would be the most important voice you've ever heard. Oh, yeah. I agree. Um, so, well, one of the reasons we bring that up, number one, of course, we want to um, say thank you for all of the uh, hard work and what they do. The other reason is you had the 911 district on the agenda this week, added a couple mm-hmm. of board members. Um, and I'm not sure that the public has a really good handle on what the 911 district is, um, what it does. Some of them may not even know it exists. Right. So, so give us, give us the, um, the, the short version to start. What is the 911 district? And why are they, why is there one? Well, first of all, 911 districts are set up under the Health and Safety Code. And they are primarily tasked with providing the capability for a 911 system. And, of course, you have your rural, your urban. You know, there are different demands depending upon where they are particularly located and different duties, uh, to be exact. But their primary purpose is having the equipment that provides 911 services 
to a geographical area. Ours particularly is the geographical area of Henderson County. There are 911 districts that are much larger, encompassing several counties. But in our instance, it's singularly Henderson County, and they are tasked with providing the system and keeping it operating. So this isn't the people answering the phone. No, it is not. These are the folks that are making sure that the hardware is in place Mm -hmm. for the folks to answer the phones. Exactly, because, you know, when you pick up the phone and you dial 911, there's got to be routing, you know, depending upon your area where you are at. You know, being in Henderson County, it's routed to the sheriff's office. Okay. Now, this is, I'm glad you said that or explained that because in my head I'm thinking, wait a minute. We have talked multiple times over the last year about the communication system going in, mm-hmm. which is the 911, that it's the 911 dispatchers connected to the police officers, connected to the firefighters, connected to first responders. Well, I believe what has happened over the years when we say we're calling 911, that is the system, and it connects you to the emergency dispatch. Well, that's what I'm saying. So right, but the 911 district is me to 911. The communication system we're talking yes. about is the dispatcher to to the officer, the first, first responder, responder, the officer. Right. So right. the 911 district is responsible for the connection between me. And nine one and my nine one one office. Yes, yes, it, it takes you to that dispatcher. Okay, and so I know talking to um, the sheriff's office over the years, the sheriff's office handles calls <laughs> for calls. all kinds of like all. Uh, I think it's like twenty plus fire departments, yes. seventeen police departments. So the 911 board has to make sure that all of these things are going to the right place. That's right. That's right. Okay. You know, the sheriff's department dispatches for all of the entities except for two, and that's uh, Gun Barrel and uh, the city of Athens. So how many people are on no, this? No, excuse me, and seven points. And seven points. How many, how many people are on this board? Uh, there are five voting members, and two of those are appointed by the commissioner's court. One is for the cities, and there is one for the uh, fire departments, the volunteer fire departments, and the there is an additional one that is uh, a representative of the telecommunications industry, but uh, they're non-voting. So there's five appointed. So – does this board have a budget or something to, I mean, are they spending money? Are they making, what What are the decisions that they're making? They are, and it is not ad valorem tax, but it is a fee that everyone has on their bill. It is a part of using the system. and On their tax bill. No, not on their tax you bill. You said but a on, fee on the bill. What on, bill? On their phone bill. Oh, on their on phone their bill. On their phone bill, yes. Um, this is... 
completely structured around the usage and how many users you have. You know, in our time of of existence, which it came into existence in the late 80s, and you have the 911 that really draws from three locations, your your traditional wire lines, you know. Landlines. Yeah, landlines. For you and I, you know, we think of a black phone and a, a rotary black phone. I do. You know, that was the original and the line share of revenue is fees through that point. But as time and um, technology is advanced, of course, cell phones now. If for cell phones that operate through the system, you have that fee. Also, there is a voice over IP, which many folks uh, may not know what that is. That is, um, we refer to them as VoIP, which is basically a digital telephone system. So, and there is a fee from that. It has changed over the years where the most of the fees went from wireline, um, to, is now wireless. I mean, this year it's uh, 140,000 in revenue for wirelines and 430,000 for wireless. So it is the usage of those three types that pays the bills. Okay. And so what's our Henderson County 911 board's budget? Their budget for the coming year, which back on March the 23rd, we um, accepted their their budget, um, blessed it, I guess you could say, but their overall budgeted expenses were for $725,000. That's a fairly... That's a fairly healthy budget, almost uh, three. Well, it's three quarters of a million dollars. It um, is. And so, where do they spend that kind of money? That is in many areas. As we talked about, they provide the the hardware, the equipment, or quote unquote the network, which drives uh, the phone calls to where they need to be. Um, they have their overhead, but the maintenance of the the um, system uh, runs in there about one hundred and seventy thousand uh, dollars. There's a nine one one network and database that's you know two and a half. Uh, $250,000, and, of course, payroll and so forth. But it is a great organization that we have, and we're very fortunate that we have our own 911 district because if we did not and was part of a regional district, all of these fees would still be collected, but they would be routed to Austin first to the state and then sent back to right. us. So, well, and then how much do, of it does it actually come back to Henderson County? At least we have three quarters of a million dollars, but we got three quarters of a million dollars being spent in Henderson County. Exactly. Guaranteed for Henderson That's County. Right. It may not be three quarters of a million dollars when it comes back if we did not have it. If we did not have it like right. that way. That's right. And the other thing here is that, um, this is again some of that invisible stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not, they're going to go and I saw on the budget really quick. I mean, there's, there's a lot of money put into upgrades to yes. make sure the system continues to function. But that is the kind of upgrade that the average person will never know even happened. That's right. And there's so many um, contributing partners. You know, when people see 911, they see, you know, maybe cops on the television. That's sure. what pops in their head. Sure. It's real quick and easy. It's not that quick and easy. This is a um, collaborative effort between city, county, first responders, and industry to provide that here. And there are several players involved so they do great work and it provides that intangible service i remember when and it wasn't that long ago 
when um, there was a concerted effort to make sure that all of the addresses were mm-hmm. correct for the 911 database so that when someone calls in and says, hi, this is Hannigan and I am in trouble at 123 Elm Street, that the police or the fire department would know would actually be able to find one, two, three Elm Street. Yeah, and you know, street numbers on houses in the cities was pretty common. You know, you had a a house number one sixty one Oak Street in whatever city you were, and that was pretty easy. But when you get outside into the unincorporated areas, like uh, everybody remembers their first address. Mine was. Um, uh, Route 1, Box 208. 326 Rancocas Boulevard, it, Mount Laurel, New Jersey, 08054. Exactly. You know, that is, that designation is not a, is not conducive to working well for identifying exactly where you are in a county wide or in a district wide system. So they had to readdress the entire county during that time, which was a, was a huge effort by all the entities to get completed. And I believe it was in the early to mid nineties when that was completed. Um, to get that done so that you had a true functioning database. So when you had uh, today, when you have a new development come in where you're going to have new housing starts or something, they have to get a 911 address so that there may be nothing there now, but there will be. And so that it's all planned out into the future. And the 911 district is the one that sort of maintains that database. That's correct. All right. Well, that sure uh, lets us know exactly how important this board that I'll bet yeah, 90% of our listeners have never even heard of. Exactly. And um, and they they do a great job. And the board, you know, non-paid positions, sure. they do this um, because they have a passion for making sure that our area is taken care of. All right. Um, and we talked about that again because it is 911 Telecommunicators Week. Right. So um, thank you to everybody from the dispatchers who are uh, answering the phones to the 911 board who's yeah. making sure that uh, everything is hooked up so that when we do make an emergency phone call, someone can come get and help us as soon as they can. Yes, sir. So thank you to everybody who's involved there. All right. We want to talk a little bit about COVID, and you and I have been talking about COVID for, I, I don't know, since 1990, yeah. 95, feels like. Um, over the last couple of weeks, though, we've been pretty giddy about the way the numbers have been going, how things have been going, and everything has been like as smooth as silk. However, we have hit a bit of a hiccup on a couple of different fronts. Uh, beginning with um, the the uh, long decline in hospitalizations is over. Yes, it is. Uh, we, you and I have tracked these hospitalizations from the beginning, and we laugh and cut up about the fact we were tracking them before the state did. But um, we hit our um, low since we started, and that low was 56 in TSAG. Uh, on April the 8th, well, since April the 8th, being today's the 14th, uh, we're up to 79. And I know that that is not a um, glaring big number to some, but again, we have to watch trends. 
and the trend is our friend or could be in other yeah. areas not our friend but it does give us an indication of what we need to be looking at the, and the trend is how we know what's going on because right. like you said 79 is not a huge number especially when you compare it to okay we're talking about the TSA which is right at a million people a little right. less than a million people 79 out of a million is not a lot but when you look at the fact that three times in the last five days, the number of COVID hospitalizations has increased in our area, that starts to tell us, wait a minute, we had been celebrating the fact that illness was declining. Mm-hmm. Is illness now starting to increase again? The trend is beginning to favor that, and you can't help but look back and go, okay, what predates this bump in the trend? Well, you know, we just, we're coming off spring break. We are coming into spring. Uh, you know, people are, um, out and about and moving, and it's a good time to remember that, eh, we need to continue on with some of our social distancing and just keeping that fresh in our mind. This may be just a little blip. But our whole deal is is that well, we kind of see a trend that catches our eye, and we want people to understand that. Right. So um, this is the kind of thing we want to keep an eye on and remind people. Okay, so you're getting back to normal. We understand, and that's awesome. Maybe not the time to have the entire family, including second cousins, come over. Yeah. We might want to hold off on that just a little bit. You know, we might not want to go be like full bore without, like, don't forget your mask at home. You might want to keep it with you just in case. Yeah. Make sure you keep on washing your hands. Um, and make sure to take care of yourself. Exactly. I mean, and, they, and you're, and everybody else. And, and that's what it is, is just being aware that, that it's still there. You know, yeah, we're, we're doing great with, um, some vaccination numbers. I mean, we're closing in on, um, 30,000 doses administered in Henderson County. Yeah. You know, so. Which is a big, which is a huge part of it. You and I talked about that before about how, you know, that, along with some other factors, was one of the reasons that the hospitalizations were mm-hmm. coming down. Now, however, a little bit of a ding in the vaccination department this week as well. Yeah, we're, we're of course, you're hearing the news about uh, Johnson & Johnson and the pause um, due to a very rare occurring event, because I believe there's only six in the U.S. that have experienced these rare form of blood clots. Um, not um, too much different than, you know, what they had with the um, AstraZeneca over in Europe. There were some issues with that one as well. Um, I believe they went ahead and said, move forward with it. But it's they've given us a pause on it so that they can study it to see because they do not want to be, you know, medicine worse than the the situation that you're in. Sure, sure. I think uh, I think with the numbers I saw, it was literally one in a million. Right. However, if you're that one, 
Right. You, you want to make sure we put a pause on it and figure out what's going on here. And see, all of those vaccines are operating under a an emergency right. authorization. None of them have had the normal right. testing. And, and that's not to say that I bring it up only because that's kind of a legal designation. Sure. You know, since it has the emergency, they're going to be extra careful. Yes. If it had a regular designation to it, they would say, no, this has already been flat out none of right. them moved down sure. the road it, it is about legal liability in many regards um, not to mention just re, um, retaining the confidence of the public in the vaccines for what it for what it is currently and the only reason I think well one of the reasons I think that this is a factor is because I believe that there were a lot of people who are waiting for the Johnson and Johnson oh, vaccine agreed. to come out Very because much. Um, if, if you're unaware, if you've forgotten the Johnson and Johnson is the single shot, um, vaccination that is based on that more traditional mm-hmm. vaccination. It's a viral vector yeah. as they well, call it. Not go. a, not a MRNA. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, I'm, I'm just, you know, I may have come from Philadelphia, but I'm just a country boy now and. So I'm not sure exactly what all that means, except that the Johnson and Johnson's more like the the flu shot I take every year, right? Whereas the Moderna and the Pfizer is a new kind of a technology, right? Um, and I myself took the Moderna. Um, first shot was fine. Second shot, I was sick as a dog for about 24 hours. Yeah. Uh, fine after that, but I was sick as a dog for about 24 hours. And I know that a lot of people, because it's a new technology and because they had heard about these mm-hmm. second shot, you know, right. illnesses, were holding off for the Johnson and Johnson. And so this is kind of a, kind of a big deal. It is. And right when Johnson and Johnson was becoming readily available, not counting the mishap that they had, um, I don't know, a few weeks ago in the manufacturing process, but it was, and, and my personal belief was, is that it was the one that they were really hoping for to fill in that gap, especially in your rural areas. Sure. Because, because of availability, you know, what you said last week, the um, whole thing about one and done. Yeah. You know, that People that like that really, one and done. They do. I mean, that that's very much a driving force into some individuals going, I get it once and I'm out of here. Right. You know. Right. Well, and the other part of that, too, as you have talked about many times, is the storage and the training yes. and everything else is more in line with a normal yes. flu vaccine. So you could bring many more um many more doctors, pharmacies, places like that online quicker because the Pfizer and the Moderna, they had a different yes. way to be applied, a different way to be administered, and you had to be trained and all yeah. kinds of stuff. Johnson and Johnson that. was much easier. Much easier. Much and easier. Like you said, there was a hope that especially in in, you know, rural places, that that would be able to fill in some gaps. Um and hopefully it still will. Yeah, hopefully right. this pause is just a pause and not right. something worse. Um, but yeah, because I think here's the thing, and, and I haven't heard this. Help me out with this. 
Has anybody said how often we're going to have to get these shots? They haven't. I did see something this morning. They were talking about in the beginning, once you got your card and everything, hey, should we laminate this thing or not? Yeah. Well, I heard some, some this morning on the news talking about you really shouldn't because they haven't quite determined yet. Yeah. For sure. If it's going to be an, an initial vaccination and you're good from now on. And if you'll look on your card, there's other places on that card. Sure. For future, um, inoculations. But so sure. is it, this, is this going to be an annual thing? Is this, and that's what I was thinking. You know, that's why I was really excited about the Johnson and Johnson because, okay, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to get to the point where this is going to be an annual thing, just mm-hmm. like you get your flu shot. Right. And the, the COVID shot is going to be part of the flu shot. You'll probably, you yep. get them at the same time. Yep. Maybe, maybe probably someone will together. get them together yeah. and it's just one <laughs> shot will be done. And I was, I was like daydreaming about that day. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I was really excited about Johnson and Johnson. Well, All right. uh, we, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Um, we need to continue to keep it in our minds about getting vaccinated. No, yeah. Whichever one it is that we have, sure. you sure. know, it's, it's really important. Um, so that the many of you have heard in the news, the threat from variants, you right. know, and if you can get it tamped down and get it held, then the less of a chance you have of one mutating in a fashion because that can overcome. Because it's not spreading around as much. Exactly. Um, so I know the county has been um, working with Family Circle of Care mm-hmm. to provide um, uh, provide vaccination clinics, um, and that's with the Moderna vaccine. Correct. Um, are any more of those scheduled? Where where are we with that? We are still working on our first and second dose clinics, and we are scheduled again to meet at the end of this month to work out the, the next, next the next round. Okay. Because given again that these are two dose sure. vaccines, we have to coordinate and move. Uh, that's again why the Johnson and Johnson. We were like, oh please. Right. So it's just once, and you're moving because it does. When you're coordinating um, the scheduling, the staff, the location, absolutely, uh, it becomes a dance. So um, yeah, later you have this to m- have two clinics per person. Exactly. I mean, to get one vaccination needs to be two clinics, and I think they have to be like two, three weeks apart. Two uh, weeks apart. They right now we're hitting about four weeks apart. Okay, there four weeks there apart. is there is some um, leeway in there between doses, but we're tar- trying to target every four weeks. Yeah, and so um, yeah, I know that that went through now. I, I am guessing that we're still using the same sign-up form, though. Uh, yes, um, we still have that form up on our website. I will say that demand has, um, or the speed of which it was growing, has fallen off greatly. Uh, we were even finding individuals that would sign up, and we would call to schedule within three or four days, and they said, yeah, I've already already got it. Yeah, because the vaccine was else. coming in. Exactly, the vaccine and, was coming in, and, and that's a good thing. We don't um, not upset about it. We're very happy about sure. it. Sure, but it's a part of that process, right? The process of winning it right. through. Oh, uh, but yeah. So I'll put the uh, I'll put that link in the show notes again. But if you want to sign up for it, and I if you haven't had it, uh, and you want to sign up, I I fully. Endorse, you should sign up. Yeah. Definitely sign up. And the sign other, up 
Multiple places. Yes, and sign up with your pharmacy and sign mm-hmm. up with your doctor. Yes. And when the first one comes through, go get it. Go get it. That, that is what we need to do. You know, 25% of those that are currently eligible to be vaccinated have had, 25% have had at least the first dosage. And, and that's really um, what we want. We want to continue to see that grow. All right, so now what I need is a shot to be able to clear out my head because <laughs> I'm getting to the point where I can't even, like, stand myself. I can't even talk. Uh, all right, well, Judge, thank you very much. Um, that was some good stuff. I love yeah. talking about things that most people or even I don't often talk about when it comes to our county government because our government – uh, our local government touches us in so many different ways that we don't even think about. Today we talked about the fact that there is a board that's making sure when I pick up a phone, dial 911, I actually get a dispatcher, a board that most people don't know exists that's getting three quarters of a million dollars that it's spending in Henderson County. And that's, that's the kind of thing that government is really all about. Mm-hmm. And we're spending all our time arguing about some crazy thing up in Washington that, you know. Exactly. Let's worry more about the 911 board. It's pretty important that these great dispatchers and these great emergency telecommunications workers, um, that we're able to get a hold of them. So it's fantastic work. Love it. Okay. Hey, thank you very much, Judge, for uh, giving us a chance to come in, learn more about our county government. Folks, thank you for listening, and we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks, Mike.